Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, back with you alongside my great friend and co-host Brent Beard, longtime college football analyst for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Brent, of course, also a voter in the race for the most prestigious individual honor in collegiate athletics, the Heisman Trophy. Also want to remind you, the show brought to you by DraftKings. Go to DraftKings.com. So many great games for you there when it comes to fantasy football. Great deals, great prizes as well. Check out DraftKings.com right now. And also want to recognize the Pigskin Podcast Network for serving as the primary platform for this podcast Thanks again to the Pigskin Podcast Network. And, of course, you can find the pod anywhere you consume podcasts. And with that, Brent Beard, uh, just a few things to talk about on this latest edition of Second Helping. What a defining weekend it was in the Southeastern Conference. We anticipated the matchup with Georgia and Tennessee. We had the nightcap of Alabama LSU. And I would say just another Saturday in which the – Action within the Southeastern Conference certainly delivered. Well, the thing about this league, I think that makes it as great as it is, uh, is when you think about what might be going on in August as compared to what actually is happening now in November, uh, it, it can be unbelievable. Uh, frankly, I mean, Georgia's steady as we thought they would be, uh, Tennessee as uh, better than we thought they would be. Uh, LSU's kind of risen from the ashes to some degree. Ole Miss still has a chance for things to be going on. Alabama certainly is in transition uh, at this point. Kentucky uh, still will be okay, but maybe not what we thought they would be. And uh, But I, I think really that's the strength of the league, Travis, is that it's, it can be as predictable as we think it is. We also have times like this year where uh, we, we've had a real shift in this league, and, and that, that's what makes it so hard to predict, and I think that's what makes it still the best league in the country. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the preseason, as you outlined so well there, Brent, and the expectation wasn't just for Alabama to win the conference, but yep. it was an overwhelming pick to do so. So you credit Georgia for this sustainability that we're seeing now under Kirby Smart, because even after the national championship win, that was the immediate question for Kirby Smart and the B- Georgia Bulldogs. Would they be able to sustain this with all the losses on defense and uh, the things that had to be replaced, even to an extent on the offensive side of the ball. This looks like same old Georgia a couple of years yeah. into this thing now. And again, credit to Kirby Smart and his staff, because I think it goes back to as much as anything, Georgia football knows who it is right yes. now. It yeah. doesn't vary wildly from that week to week. And I frankly think that's an issue that Nick Saban in Alabama has run up on here at this point this is a team that we know in terms of marquee players who those guys are but as far as how all the pieces fit and how it relates to complementary football well Georgia's cornered the market on that for the time being whereas Alabama looks like it's still very much trying to figure that thing out nine games into the season 
Well, uh, and I think with Georgia, balance is the word uh, that, uh, that that I see, particularly in their offense. And, Travis, you could actually argue that Georgia's doing this without a true number one receiver. Uh, mm-hmm. And and maybe, maybe Brock Bowers is to their best receiver. Their defense really has had uh, very little drop-off, uh, virtually if any. So the dogs continue to be uh, uh, very consistent for – Bama, uh, there is no number one receiver uh, at this point, and so sometimes there's question of where, well, who, who even two or three is. Uh, Georgia's offensive line has maintained, uh, uh, I think, a tremendous standard over the last few years. Uh, Bama's is nowhere near where it needs to be, particularly in carving out the opportunity for uh, runs. But I think what you said maybe sums it up very well uh, to where uh, Georgia knows its offensive and defensive identity. Uh, Alabama still riding uh, one of the, if not the best quarterback in the league, but, and he's trying to raise the level of the play that, that that's not going on. So uh, frankly, Trav, when you, yes, when you, when you compare the two contenders uh, in the beginning of the season, I, I'm not saying they're both going in different directions because Nick Saban can write the train, but at this point, it's amazing how much more consistent Georgia's been than, frankly, anybody else in the league. Well, it's still a line of scrimmage league. You know, we get so caught up, in, right. and I understand it, man, with what Tennessee has done offensively and those wide splits with the wide receivers and the stacks outside the numbers and the explosive plays and the performance against Alabama and really everybody else that the balls had seen that game last Saturday in Athens came down to the lines of scrimmage and Georgia controlled the football game on both lines of scrimmage. So whereas we fall in love with explosive plays and we all love them, it makes it fun. There's no doubt about it. At the end of the day, blocking and tackling still matters in the Southeastern Conference. And no one comes close right now to doing that as well as the Georgia Bulldogs. And give some credit to LSU. I know we're talking about deficiencies where Alabama is concerned. But I think the second half of that loss to Florida State, they started to figure out more about who they are and who they had in Jaden Daniels at the quarterback position. I thought in the first half of that game, they tried to make him too Ian bookish or more along the lines of the Notre Dame quarterbacks we had seen under Brian Kelly. They have essentially turned him loose since. And other than, and even in the loss to Tennessee, he played pretty well. It wasn't a Jaden Daniels issue against Tennessee in that loss. Uh, He has been a revelation at the quarterback position. And against Alabama, again, we talked blocking and tackling, 185 rushing yards for the Tigers in the game. Uh, Not a a huge number, but like Tennessee, it was enough. It was an efficient rushing attack. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Tennessee's star, uh, excuse me, LSU star player sort of took over. Uh, Some of the, the, uh, the poise issues that we've seen with Alabama defensively came into play, whether you're talking about from the coaching staff through the players I just didn't have answers, and that's very much unlike Nick Saban coach teams as much as anything. Once the toothpaste got out of the tube there in the second half for that LSU offense, boy, Alabama never had an answer. 
uh, well, and LSU 6-0 and when they're averaging 4.7 yards per carry. Mm-hmm. And, Trav, and that's not an exorbitant number, is it? But it's no, close to – It's enough. It yeah. is. It's close to five yards a carry. And, and Trav, the other thing, and I, I know you picked up on this in your writings, that LSU was able to do what they did with what? Not one, but two freshmen on the offensive line? Yeah. That that's something that if you're an Alabama fan, you look at and go, that can't happen either. Right. Because right. two f- true freshmen offensive tackle, you got Will Anderson and Dallas Turner as your edge guys. Now I know you can scheme things up to try to account more for Will Anderson, but there should be some other guys on this Alabama defense, given the experience that the Crimson Tide brought back and the talent that the Crimson Tide brought back, where you're winning more one-on-ones. And this Alabama defense, surprisingly, really doesn't. It's an Alabama defense no. that going into its 10th game of the season has just six takeaways, just six on the yes. season. And we're talking about experience and production at safety, linebacker, up front, and you got six takeaways is all that number reads for the Alabama defense. So Brent, as we do here on the podcast, we like to review and preview almost simultaneously. And what we'll do is we'll get you ready for the upcoming slate of games. And boy, some of these have taken on even more importance when you think about divisional races and where LSU sits right now uh, with an emphasis on the West, because that thing is still, I wouldn't say wide open, but with LSU there, um, with the one conference loss, along with Ole Miss, of course, LSU has the win over Ole Miss working in its favor, but a couple of road trips coming up for the Tigers where I think we'll learn even more about Brian Kelly's first team in Baton Rouge. And it starts at noon Eastern on Saturday in Fayetteville where, boy, the Arkansas Razorbacks got a bit of a surprise last Saturday, didn't they? Hugh Freeze and Liberty goes into Reynolds Razorback Stadium and walks out with a 21 to 19 win. Um, look, Liberty, a capable football team. They really no, no are. doubt about that. Uh, but still to see the score look good in the end, but that was not pretty for most of that game no. Saturday. Was it? No, they trailed 21 to three, uh, at halftime. They were able to, uh, to ride the ship in the second half, but they came out flat uh, they admitted that uh, after a while, uh, and that was, and they really could not come up with yeah, any kind of a pass rush uh, against Liberty. Uh, but but this is and see this is one of those games of those situations that Arkansas, if they ever want to be who they want to be, they've got to be able to win a game like this, and, and that that was a real problem for them uh, in this game. Uh, the uh, and Trav, Arkansas, 144 yards rushing way and goes along with the theme of the day, doesn't it? But uh, that uh, when they're when they're performing like that, running the ball, that really puts so much more pressure on KJ Jefferson and Rocket Sanders. And they were not able to overcome it. But yet the the crazy thing about this Arkansas team is uh, we've seen it all year, haven't we? Trav, they can that they can uh, be flat-footed against a team and rebound and play exceptionally well the next week, and that's kind of what you and I uh, may be thinking about here. Of uh, could they do that against an LSU team that has been told all week long how great they are? 
Yeah, and it's all about matchups, too. It is. Uh, and Arkansas, we've talked about many times on the back end of that defense, very suspect. And whereas LSU has personnel that can be problematic at the wide receiver positions for that Arkansas defense, they don't necessarily utilize them in a way, it seems, mm-hmm. where perhaps Arkansas – uh, could have as, as much of a concern with that aspect of the LSU offense this weekend. At the linebacker level, I think I think Arkansas can hang in with the kind of run game that LSU presents. In other words, LSU was very efficient with its backs against yes. Alabama. Josh Williams, seven carries, 54 yards. John Emery with a big touchdown catch. Um, Armani Goodwin, very limited participation. But they are backs that are better suited between the tackles, they're not big play guys like a Jameer Gibbs who was problematic for Arkansas about a month ago or so. So I think Bumper Pool and some of these linebackers can hang in against this kind of run game. And then, you know, the Arkansas offense, it's got to be better. I mean, it can't be worse than what it was for most of that no. game against Liberty, giving up four sacks of KJ Jefferson. So Absolutely. You got to get Rocket Sanders going. LSU can do a pretty good job of its own against that interior run game. So, you know, how some of these other guys like Landers and uh, Hazelwood and, 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 and the receivers on the outside are able to help will be big. I just don't see a ton of points in this game. Um, I think the winner gets into the twenties, but I'm not seeing an absolute shootout like we've seen in some of these boot matchups in the past. And I'm going to go ahead and do it, Brent. I'm going to go ahead and take Arkansas plus the three and I'm going to call for an upset here yeah. just because what the heck, right? This season, why not? And, uh, just making the stage even bigger for what's going to be coming up a little bit later on Saturday in Oxford. Uh, and do people realize what a big rivalry this is, uh, between both these schools and, and Trev, I do want to get your opinion on this. Uh, I think another big plus in this game is, and Alabama struggled with this the entire game. Look, this Perkins kid for LSU uh, defensively has, uh, I won't necessarily say come out of nowhere, but they have developed him and they have brought him along. And, and I think our, a lot of Arkansas success, Trav, is, and you mentioned this a minute ago, can Arkansas keep Perkins away from K.J. Jefferson and stymieing that offense? Yeah, he is reminiscent of Will Anderson a couple of years ago. Maybe not as powerful as Will was from the get-go two seasons ago, but, boy, dynamic. And you talk about the ability to close ground quickly on people. Uh, That is Harold Perkins. And now you put him in there with B.J. Ojolari and Ollie Gay and some of their other edge guys. Uh, and, and it's a handful. I don't think it there's is. any doubt about it. And it, it reemphasizes the need for Arkansas to get a lot out of rocket Sanders and that run game this week, because if you become one dimensional and you throw it 50 plus times, like Alabama did last Saturday night, uh, you're gonna, you're probably going to have some struggles in dealing with those edge guys in general for the LSU Tigers. Also in the noontime window on Saturday, sec network, Vanderbilt in search of that first conference win (laughs) travels to Lexington to take on Kentucky, Kentucky feeling a lot better about itself. I think we both like Missouri and Columbia last Saturday, but the Wildcats kind of what Mark Stoops does, right? Just when you think Kentucky might be ready to, to dip to five wins or so, 
Uh, they go and get their sixth win on the road in Columbia, Missouri last weekend. And so the Cats looking to get to 7-3 and three on the season and Vanderbilt just looking for a win of any kind. I won't be at all surprised, and I'm not calling for an upset here, uh, but I would not be surprised uh, in next week of Kentucky give Georgia a little bit of credit early uh, because they can get up for games like that. They've got enough weapons to where uh, they can stay in that thing for uh, at least a half, if not going into the third quarter uh, along that line too. So I, I think that's important. Bandy is making uh, a little bit of – uh, of noise this year, the Swan kid, A.J. Swan at quarterback, uh, I think it's done okay. Now, Mike Wright had to play a little bit too, but you still got the worst scoring defense in the league in Vanderbilt, allowing 36 points a game, and uh, that that's certainly not going to help anybody uh, at that point either. But Will Levis uh, in the Missouri game, efficient, 13 of 19 from 170. Those are nice numbers for him, Travis, which means that if he is – only having to throw uh, 20 or last passes. That means Chris Rodriguez is playing well, and he got 112 yards. This Barry and Brown, the, the freshman wide receiver, continues to make some big plays uh, along the way, too. I think that is uh, fascinating. But again, Kentucky goes as far as their offensive line. They've allowed 36 sacks in nine games, and 19 and 20. They allowed a total of 34 sacks in 24 games. So, uh, Trev, uh, that, that old axiom in this league, you mentioned the line of scrimmage a few minutes ago, uh, uh, but it goes back to this thing. If you can't protect your quarterback, you're setting yourself up for uh, a lot worse season than you want. Yeah, this has the potential to be a bit of a rock fight as well uh, with scoring maybe not at a premium by the way, A.J. Swan out at the quarterback position for Vanderbilt this week. It will be Mike Wright who gets the start. Wright, of course, began the season as the starter, had some nice games, especially yes. in that opener against Hawaii out on Oahu. But it will be Mike Wright, so you're expecting more quarterback runs and uh, a different kind of offense to an extent with Wright at the controls. Uh, lean on Ray Davis. Hope to get enough out of Will Shepard on the outside. Keep this thing close, but looks like Kentucky in pretty good shape to move up that bowl pecking order and get its seventh win of the season. Also on Saturday at noon Eastern, it's a doubleheader day for CBS. Game one, Missouri traveling to Tennessee. Tennessee looking to pick up the pieces after, as we talked about earlier in the pod, really being physically handled by a very impressive Georgia team. And, you know, look, Tennessee, as we've seen here in the most recent college football playoff reveal, still a ton to play for. I felt like even going into that Georgia game, Tennessee might be playing with house money. Uh, kind of feels that way coming out, even after a 14-point loss that was more decisive than the score might have indicated. Tennessee still in really good shape, but – you know, we've seen Missouri go on the road in some previous games this season, uh, and even in all of its losses, really, has been very, very competitive. Yeah, well, it has. Uh, Brady Cook has been, frankly, he doesn't have a lot of big numbers, uh, 
uh, but he is uh, 18 to 26, 143, been pretty consistent uh, throughout. Cody Schrader has been a pretty good running back for them. We've talked about Luther Burden, um, six for 60 last week. Uh, so uh, they're, they're hovering around that 500 mark. Uh, Trav, please help me understand this. Uh, I, I, why, why in the world is Eli drink with, uh, and we've done this long enough where we get why you do these things, but Eli drink with this early in the season, getting a, uh, uh, an extension and a raise for what a lot of people would pretty much say is mediocre football. You know, the only thing I could think of is, and even with all those things that you outlined there is that, with all these early openings, True. maybe True. maybe someone sniffed around. Yep, very well. And look, it's just like quarterbacks in the NFL draft in the first yep. round. Yep. All it takes is one, Brent. That's right. That's all it takes. Now, it could be that internally, the administration, the athletic department, uh, it, it goes beyond the results to this point with Eli Drinkwith. They may just feel like this is the right person to steward our program. And we believe that in time, the results on the field will actually meet up. And kind of to the point that we made earlier, it's not like this team is getting blown out by True. really anybody True. to this point. So uh, some different things to come to mind, but I think that was surprising to a lot of people that not only was he extended, he was raised a pretty he good was. bit. And, <laughs> and that's where I, I, my ears perk up a little bit. Yes. Thinking, did somebody, has somebody sniffed around or has Eli's representation yeah. just as importantly convinced Missouri that someone is either interested or might be, it is that time of year. It's just been, Brent, agent season has just been pushed up a little bit is all. Uh, and, and Trav, did, did, I, did I see that correctly? Or my eyes deceiving me? He's in that $6 million range a year, right? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, my. Yes. And going up. Uh, yeah. And going yeah. up after that. So, uh, hey, good for Eli and his, uh, his representation. I'm not sure if it's yes. Jim Sexton, but it's a, it feels like a Jim Sexton you know, that's going on maybe yes. there in Columbia. Hey, uh, also coming up on Saturday afternoon as the second half of that CBS doubleheader, an Alabama team losers of two straight on the road for the first time since 2007, Nick Saban's first season will look to avoid a three game road losing streak when it travels to Oxford to take on Lane Kiffin and those tied for first place rebels as we talked about, based on what happens in Fayetteville a little bit earlier in the day, this one could have big-time Atlanta-Georgia implications. Well, and frankly, if Arkansas beats LSU, that, that actually helps both Alabama uh, and yeah. Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at that, Travis, I think two things here. One is for the future – uh, is uh, I can see a lot of, and I know you were in about some of this, uh, that uh, you, you can certainly see changes uh, in, in this Alabama football team coming up after the season is over in terms of coaches, but I think also in terms of attitude 
will this team get more uh, physical uh, mm-hmm. at the point of attack than what it a- at least has been uh, at this point? Uh, I think a lot of people in uh, and boy, when Alabama loses games, the microscope comes out in the magnifying glass of what's going on with the program. And again, if this is a reset for Nick Saban, he's done this before, uh, but still uh, struggles in the fourth quarter. Uh, the penalties, they lead the nation basically in average penalties. Uh, the defense not making stops when they need to be able to do it. I think that's uh, as far as the future. Uh, but, but Trap, my one key for this game is, and I learned this from you years ago, when you're playing a team like Ole Miss, what you don't want to do is to get behind, uh, say, 10 or 14 to nothing and end up chasing points the entire day because if that happens uh, and we don't know how fragile that Alabama psyche is, but I think if they were to get behind early and have to chase points, that could be real uh, problematic for them as the game goes on. And it's what Lane and Ole Miss thrive on. Sort of that shock and awe that we see from so many teams these days, it seems like. And, you know, that was the case two years ago when Alabama yeah, went to Oxford. Lane in his third game, just his third game as Ole Miss head coach, they come flying out of the gates, and you mentioned it. That Alabama team, in terms of psyche, was wired in a way in which it could withstand that, come mm-hmm. back, and win just an absolute shootout, 63-48. to 48. Now, last year, Alabama controlled the lines of scrimmage. Alabama, yeah. in that game a year ago in Tuscaloosa, was reminiscent of Georgia against Tennessee Absolutely. last Saturday. It was that kind of game. Alabama held onto the football for 40 minutes, limited Ole Miss to 78 rushing yards. Now, we know Ole Miss, the SEC's leading rushing offense with 267 yards per game. Boy, you got guys like Quinshawn Judkins mm. and uh, Zach Evans. And, boy, Judkins – I can't be more impressed with this guy as a true yeah, freshman. He's absolutely. over a thousand rushing yards mm-hmm. um, and 14 rushing touchdowns or so, and just runs with an authority that you don't typically see. I'll tell you who he reminds me of. He reminds me a little bit of carry on Johnson when carry on Johnson yeah, was at Auburn, yeah. kind of the same size and running style and just yards after contact. And if we're being honest, Alabama defensively right now in its front seven, uh, doesn't have a real war daddy or two, either right. up front or at the inside linebacker positions. You saw it with Josh Williams for LSU last Saturday night. He ran through both Henry Toa Toa and Jalen Moody on occasion. So better buckle it up on that Alabama front seven because whereas we'll talk so much about explosive plays with Ole Miss, they want to run the football. I mean, yeah. they're averaging 47 rushing attempts per game. They're only throwing it 27 times per game. So for Alabama, if Ole Miss gets north of 40 rushing attempts mm-hmm. yeah. on Saturday, that's probably not a good sign. You want to make Jackson dart, although he's known more as a passer, he's run the ball effectively himself in that offense this year. So you got to account for the backs again this week if you're the Alabama defense, and you also have to account for a quarterback. Maybe not as much as Jaden Daniels a week ago, but the preparation shouldn't be difficult for Alabama no. this week. Um, it, it's, it's a matter of, you said what character, what is this team truly made of? Because 
you're right. If they don't bring it and they're not engaged and in tune from the opening snap, uh, it could be it could be a desperation mode uh, pretty early in that game for for Nick Saban's team. Uh, well, Jonathan Mingo is playing in this game, number two in the SEC with 664 receiving yards. Mingo did not play in this game last year, so he's eager to get back out there. Now, again, the Ole Miss defense tied for 69th in the nation, allowing 378 yards per game including 155 on the ground. So, boy, there have been some games this year for the Tide where they've run well. And there's other games, Trav, where uh, they would have loved to have had 155 yards in a game. Yeah, Alabama's averaging 5.9 yards per carry, but they're only averaging 34 rush attempts Uh, per game. So that's some math there that has uh, Alabama fans uh, a little bit – a little bit agitated, I would say, right now when you do the math on some of those numbers in the run game. But I will say this, too. It's an Alabama run game that's either home run or strike out it a lot is. of times. It is right. big play centered. And if those aren't happening with Jameer Gibbs and maybe uh, Jace McClellan, there are a lot of empty carries in, in those 34 carries per game as well. So big one in Oxford. You know, I'm going to go with Alabama in the game, but boy, I, I think we both are in agreement that depending on how this thing starts on Saturday, uh, neither one of us will be surprised to see Ole Miss no. end up getting the win. No, and Trav, I have questions. Will Terry and Arnold, who Nick Saban said this week had the flu, uh, will, I mean, will he be ready to go? Uh, and also, uh, guys like Trajan Holden, number 11, that saw very little of him. So I, mm-hmm. I, I think there are just some, uh, also Trav, some personnel questions for Bama fans as far as who plays and who nods for this game. Yeah, which is kind of interesting considering, again, what this team brought back. Yes. And that we're nine games into the season and you still have those sort of questions and concerns for Alabama. I think they're rolling with Eli Ricks. Unless something happens this week in practice, I think they had already decided even before Arnold missed the LSU game that Ricks was the guy for now opposite Kool-Aid McKinstry. Now, Ricks had his struggles in the second half in Baton Rouge. So we'll see. It's been a bit of a, a competition really since last spring for that one spot. And you're right. Uh, the wide receiver rotations very much still unsettled. Ja'Cory Brooks looks like he's emerging as the guy that Bryce Young has the most confidence in. He targeted him 17 times against LSU last Saturday night. But <laughs> beyond that, it's kind of uh, uh, it's like the deli, you know, at the grocery store. You yes. take a ticket and then you wait behind 30 people yeah. so you can get your boar's head roasted turkey or whatever it is you like. <laughs> And uh, that, that's what you kind of run up against with this this Alabama offensive uh, situation in general, but certainly uh, at the, the wide receiver position. Hey, how about South Carolina also in that late afternoon window traveling to Florida to take on the Gators? South Carolina now bowl eligible once again under Shane Beamer. At six and three, the Gators looking to get there after a win over a flu-stricken Texas A&M team in College Station last Saturday. Tama flu, I called them, the Aggies, <laughs> with that flu outbreak. 
South Carolina, I guess you could say this is sort of the Spurrier Bowl, right? The two teams he coached in the Southeastern Conference. And I guess as much as anything, you're wondering which of these teams will show up because we saw South Carolina with a disappointing performance um, there in in Columbia a couple weeks ago. They rebound. Florida, who knows? Uh, A&M certainly being depleted in a lot of areas helped the Gators in that road trip. So uh, this is another one, Brent, that you could envision going a number of different ways. Oh, and a lot of that is going to depend on uh, what what's the mental outlook for Spencer Rattler. Uh, 16 to 23, 186, three touchdowns, pretty good numbers uh, in the win over Vanderbilt, even though Bandy out, outrushed them 226 to 208. I still think when Marshawn Lloyd is playing well, South Carolina is playing well, uh, and you really don't know what mentally that they're going to be gators have got to watch out for beamer ball in terms of special teams but at the same time i know that a&m was virtually playing with the water boy on saturday because of all the uh the injuries and the sickness but florida frankly that that was a nice win for them particularly defensively uh and and to be quite honest their defense uh, Florida's can be abysmal at times, but uh, some things they've improved on. They are the second least penalized team in the league, uh, 40 yards per game. Alabama can certainly learn a lot from that. Uh, and the the other reality is that uh, Trav in the second half, their defense played well. They forced a couple of turnovers. Secondary looked good. Uh, and uh, they basically shut out A&M for uh, a good part of that game. Their defense had been given a lot of criticism, and it was justified. And another guy who'd gotten a lot of criticism, Anthony Richardson, actually had a pretty strong performance, cut down on some of the mistakes, made a few good throws. So it was an important road win for uh, the Gators. And the question has to ask, has to be asked, Trav, was was Pops also pleased with that performance from Florida? I think Pops was jet lagged. He had just gotten back from Amsterdam, I think, uh, Friday night. Right. I talked to him about it. But, you know, Devon A-Chain still went for a buck 22 on yeah. 16 carries, but it seemed like most of that was really in the first half. So, as you pointed out, better defense for the Gators in the second half of that win. And we can talk about, we can talk about Billy Napier as program builder, recruiter, use some patience, but that was the kind of game he absolutely had to have. It really yep, no didn't do him many favors Saturday morning to see on your social media timelines how this flu uh, situation had overtaken Texas A&M. Because then it's, it's, a, it's a scenario where, boy, if A&M, yeah. beats Florida with this team mm-hmm. and then the wolves, you, you can talk patience and all that you want, but fans don't tend to no. subscribe to that notion uh, very much or as well as you would like. So uh, don't undervalue that win for Billy Napier in terms of trying to keep the masses calm long enough to allow him to do the things uh, he has envisioned for that program. Prime time Saturday night, Georgia Bulldogs fresh off that win over the Tennessee Vols in Athens travel to Starkville to take on Mississippi State. Uh, 
bizarre game with the Bulldogs in oh. Auburn yeah. uh, with Cadillac Williams in the interim head coach mode for Auburn. Credit to the Tigers. Uh, hung in there and, and made it very, very interesting against a state team that did become bowl eligible with the win. Yeah, and uh, it, they they were able to get themselves together. Will Rogers, 60 passes trail, by the way, yeah. 42, 42 of 59 for 357. Uh, obviously, he leads the league uh, almost 3,000 yards, 26 touchdowns uh, at, at that point, too. But, look, uh, they you remember they ran the ball well about the middle of the season, but they're back to being last in the SEC in rushing offense. And we understand, uh, again, the short passing game is their running game, but they were playing much better when they were able to, to, to run the ball and get something uh, from Marks and Dylan Johnson and, the, and that crew. Uh, so they, they're not doing real well with that. Uh, I, this, I think this is a character game, frankly, for Georgia, uh, and I think they'll be okay. Uh, I think this is a game that Kirby Smart uh, will use that uh, mentality he got from his mentor, Nick Saban, uh, to keep them focused. They may not be as sharp as they were against Tennessee, and I'm not sure how they could be, frankly, but I still think that uh, Georgia would continue to do what they've done and be balanced. Uh, Stetson Bennett playing well, just pick a running back. It's kind of running back by committee. Uh, uh, to me, the star of this offense has been the offensive line because, Trav, this is something you and I've talked about throughout the whole year with Georgia. There's not a real bell cow uh, receiver and a real bell care cow uh, running back. Uh, again, they're kind of doing it by who has the hot hand. They like the depth uh, to be able to build that up. Uh, that doesn't always work for a lot of teams, but boy, it has worked well for Georgia this year, hasn't it? It has, and I think this is a game for Mississippi State and Mike Leach similar to the matchup that Alabama poses to Mississippi State in that the dogs are going to feel like we can rush three or four in effect, Will Rogers drop seven or eight into coverage, and at some point he will throw us the football. So that's the concern you have for Mississippi State in terms of keeping this game competitive. Georgia is 16.5-point favorite. I know that sounds like a lot, but again, I refer you to the Alabama-Mississippi State games the last mm-hmm. three seasons with Mike Leach in that spot. Now look, 2020, Georgia – hosted Mississippi State, and that was a 31-24 to game. Yeah, so it sure was, was competitive in Mike Leach's first season. And the dogs in that game, here's a stat for you. Georgia, 23 carries, 8 rushing yards against Man. Mississippi State well, in 2020. I think I'll go uh, I'll go over the 8 yes. this time uh, for that Georgia offense. I don't know about you, Brent, but I, yeah. I feel pretty safe in that one. Yeah. Wrapping things up on Saturday – uh, the Aggies of Texas A&M at three and six, one and five in the SEC now following the loss to Florida in College Station last Saturday, travels to Auburn to take on a three and six Auburn team. Also one and five in the SEC. You talk about just amazing numbers to consider when you consider the investment into Jimbo Fisher, 
from the Texas A&M perspective and just to see Auburn. I know they've, they've been down years. Just go back to 2012 for more on that um, for the Auburn Tigers. But uh, to, to see these teams at a combined 6-12 and 12 at this point in the season, I think maybe some folks saw this. I, I felt this was potentially possible for Auburn, but but not for A&M. No, no, no stretch. As a matter of fact, as we as we unwrap that a little bit now, uh, Connor Wiegman is kind of the uh, the story right now uh, for A and M. But yet you've also had uh, Haynes King who played a lot uh, in the loss to Florida. Uh, H chain again will always be a threat as long as he's on the field. We both like Evan Stewart a lot, so they've got some guys <clears throat> who've been impressive. Now Fisher says Wigman is going to be uh, the starting quarterback. Lost five straight games since 1980, and a lot of people are saying, "Well, A&M's got money. Why don't they pay that buyout and just get, and just get going again?" Travis, I think what's happening here, and even despite on the field. Uh, and off the field, Anthony Hill Jr., uh, a five-star linebacker, is decommitted from A&M. So Jimbo's getting it, is he not, uh, from kind of all sides at this point. But he's telling uh, those Aggie fans, we need you to hang in with us. We think we've got our quarterback. Yep. Uh, what we think what did got- I say on the podcast a couple of weeks ago with, with all this? Right. Uh, yes. That that he this would, was going to be the narrative. It was. It was, it, it was it, always going to be. I got. I got my Jameis. I yeah, got my Texas A and M Jameis right. now. Yeah. Yeah. Just just give us the start of twenty twenty three, and and we'll show you. You know, yeah. we're we're on that same track that we were on with Jameis at Florida State. I, this was coming a mile away, Brent. Right. Uh, well. Well. And Trav, add to that the twelve defensive linemen. And edge rushers exactly. that, that they've signed, and and so he can go to everybody in the uh, in the off season and say uh, we're really close, right, Jeff? Yeah. Oh, that 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 was going to be the narrative all along. I mean, there's a strategy to all this. As a sure. season starts to unravel, this is a tried and true approach. You get the kids involved that are highly anticipated, none more so than at the quarterback position when you got a five-star sitting over there. Wiegman has delivered to an extent. I think he is very much the real deal. I think whether it's Jimbo or somebody else, uh, he's got a great future in front of him if he can stay healthy. Um, And now it's it's Jimbo that's essentially selling this uh, for his – for his own sake to, to maintain his position. Now, look, if they fire him, he gets 85 million anyway. Yeah, so Jimbo, right. I think Jimbo is a winner regardless of how this goes. <laughs> yeah. If they go ahead and decide to make the move, he walks away with 85 million and maybe he's the next head coach at West Virginia or somewhere. Yes. Uh, if he stays, he's got Connor Wiegman and a lot of those. Now we'll see about some of these young guys. We'll see if they stay in that, that program or if they, a few of them jump to the portal. Uh, because it, it's, it's seemingly been a, a good bit of unrest already with, with some of those young guys. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. But as for Saturday, uh, I think Wiegman coming back is huge. Um, boy, Auburn's just hard to figure out series by are. series at this point, let alone even quarter by quarter. Yeah. Um, playing at home, I, I think Cadillac Williams is doing a uh, – Carnell's doing a good job of trying to – 
keep the fan base into it. He is he is handling that role like you would hope an alum would put in that tough spot. He's keeping it all about the players and all about Auburn and trying not to make it about himself. Uh, but in terms of just roster right now, and I know what Auburn also had another injury to Troxel at, at offensive tackle, yes. I guess he's out for the remainder of the season. I just, I think Texas A&M just has the better players available right now. Now, if you're Auburn though, A&M is 123 in the nation in rush defense, giving up 215 yards per game, and in SEC yeah. games, nearly 250. Trev, if you're if you're a Cadillac, uh, don't you run? Uh, take Bigsby about as often as you can in that game Saturday. I would think so. Yeah, the Aggies in their last two games have given up 681 rushing yards. Ooh. In games against Ole Miss and Florida, hey, uh, limited to Florida, limited Florida to just just 291 after giving up 390 to Ole Miss back on October the 29th. I guess I like the Aggies uh, in the game. What about you, Sadie? Uh, I, I, I do too, but I, but but look, you know when Auburn is home in the midst of the emotion and yeah. uh, and how they can create momentum. I, 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 <laughs> from virtually nothing, uh, and then they they have been uh, renewed with this coaching search as far as far as where that might go. Uh, also, uh, yeah. uh, you know, with all the names involved, uh, got a had a Dion sign at the basketball game the other night there for the go. Tigers. How about that, <laughs> you know, I trust. Here's the thing, though, I trust Cadillac Williams to have his team ready. Yeah, Saturday more than I do Jimbo Fisher, who it seems like every week we have to check in just to see if A and M's going to be able to field a damn team, Brent. <laughs> you know, it's, it, oh yeah. The, the, the craziest yes. thing about last Saturday morning and seeing that on my timeline from Pete Thamel of ESPN about the flu breakout was that I wasn't surprised. It didn't no. surprise me. No. Oh, this no. is a Jimbo no. Fisher team. This is. is a team that couldn't make it to Jacksonville to take Absolutely. on the Wake Forest yes. in the Gator Bowl. So it it uh, it has the feel of, you know, on the Wednesday SEC teleconference, there should be a question every week for Jimbo. Jimbo, as of today, do you believe you'll have enough to play on Saturday? That should be a question, an actual question for Jimbo Fisher. First and foremost, will you be able to field a team <laughs> this week? Because yes. week to week, you get the sense that, hey, it's it's not a given, even from that perspective. Uh, and, ah. and and, uh, and Trev, uh, and and it's and this season is going to be over very quickly for A and M unless they run the table. And I and and, and for, frankly, I, I don't think I think Jimbo will. likes it that way. You can go hunting, uh, you know, or well, something. Well, and but my question to you is, Trav, uh, might he be looking for an actual offensive coordinator uh, to be able to help him? I, I I'm still not sure that Jimbo's ego would allow him to bring someone in and, and give them play calling duty. Uh, will that, will, will that surprise you like it would me if he would allow that to happen? Yeah, that's difficult for me to imagine. Cause I, I think he likes that more than he likes being a head coach. Sure. He does. Absolutely. So if he's not going to do that, what's the point in his mind? Yeah, that will be uh that will be interesting to see how that goes uh, here in the offseason. 
Well, uh, Trav, it, 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 but again, uh, the the expectation, the disappointment. People may people may forget forget in the, my last thing on A and M. Uh, what number five to begin the season, and you got guys like Desmond Howard who are basically predicting A and M at the beginning of the year to be in the national championship game. Oh yeah, sure, absolutely. Why not, right? Mm. Well, there you go. A review and a preview of Southeastern Conference football as it sits on a Wednesday, November the 9th, 2022. Boy, we've got some college basketball cranking up as well. That's right. That's right. I like that. Yeah. Nice mix. Nice mix. Big expectations for some teams around the SEC coming up over the next five or six months. So look forward to that as well. Well, Brent, as always, a lot of fun, a lot of great insight you provide to us. And uh, look forward to doing it again next week. Plenty to talk about. Absolutely. And Travis, may may the people in our fine state be safe uh, with our prayers and thoughts for all is is amazingly uh, in November – uh, and you know, when we were dealing with a hurricane that's about to go to a tropical storm, uh, that, that, that's almost unfathomable for this time of year in the travel. It really is. But it uh, feels like between the Atlantic and the Gulf and everything else, it's uh, – it's uh, it's not a, a situation where you, you're able to take much of a breather these nope. days. Well, Brent, as always, appreciate it. And look forward to doing it again next week. Me too, pal. Take care. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on Second Helping. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we hope you'll do so. Of course, right there at the Pigskin Podcast Network. And once again, thanks to DraftKings for helping to make the show possible. Check out DraftKings.com. To get yourself set up with some fabulous uh, fantasy football games and also some outstanding prizes as well right there at DraftKings.com. Until next time, so long, everybody.